This week's podcast is brought to you by Avast, a global leader in digital security and family safety solutions for network operators and their customers. Consumers are more connected than ever. Over 66% of North American households now have at least one Internet of Things device. But whether they're using a doorbell camera, online fridge, voice-activated assistant, or even just a mobile phone and laptop, each device further exposes them to attacks on their digital security and privacy. Avast's advanced AI-driven security can be deployed at the device, router, or 5G network level to provide a comprehensive and fully converged solution powered by the world's largest consumer threat detection network. Their award-winning security solutions make it easy for consumers to manage their digital life security using just one simple interface, no matter how many devices they use. That's smart. Let Avast help you build a safer digital home for your customers. Discover more at avast.com partners. That's A-V-A-S-T dot partners. Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor here at Light Reading, and I'm joined on this podcast by my colleague, Kelsey Zeiser. And our guest today is Nick Feimster. Uh, Nick is the director for the Center uh, for Data and Computing at the University of Chicago. He's been on the podcast before. He helps uh, explain uh, what's going on with the internet itself and how it fits into society and what's changing. And we thought it'd be a great time to have him on because his group is starting to do some research into the uh, effects of the COVID-19 pandemic in uh, uh, not just in the nature and the scale of uh, the traffic that's affecting the internet, but uh, how network operators uh, might be responding to uh, the changes that we're seeing in society, uh, not just on a network basis, but on a societal basis as well. It's a pretty interesting discussion, and we will cover um, all facets of uh, the, the shift in the location, the nature, and the scale of network traffic right after this. So welcome to the podcast, Nick Feimster of the University of Chicago. Thanks for joining us. Oh, ha very happy to join you today. So you have spent uh, a good bit of your career trying to make the internet work better, if I if I may <laughs> go so far as to just summarize your entire career. Um, Thanks. Yeah, that was a good quick summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm all about brevity these days. Um, so I I, you know, we wanted to talk about a new project you're involved in, but, um, you know, one of the things that everyone is, especially in the telecom industry is talking about is how the, um, network has been performing, how the internet's been performing as these, uh, stay at home and teleworking requirements have, have, uh, taken hold, um, how, how do you feel like, uh, you know, this, this, uh, COVID-19, uh, pandemic has affected the network overall just starting from from the basics um and, and stating the obvious uh, people are staying home <laughs> and so yeah. uh, essentially that changes access patterns in, in, a, in a number of interesting ways um the obvious one of course is that people are using their home networks more they're using it you know they're using their home networks for work 
uh, and also school uh, in many cases. Um, mm -hmm. And even those of us who aren't in school or um, aren't working, uh, such as uh, the elderly population, are also relying on the internet more to maintain contact with family members, loved ones, caregivers, and so forth. Uh, whereas previously they might have been not so reliant on those technologies. So I think everybody is using their home network more than they were. Uh, there's also something interesting going on too that, that's happening less, which is mobility. And if you think about say a cellular network, um, typically has to deal with a lot of mobility, people moving their phones around as they move around in cars and bikes and on foot. And there's a lot less mobility that we're, that we're seeing in the cellular network as well. Yeah, so the, the, the combination of the two makes for an interesting, uh, uh, I guess, interesting, uh, uh, I don't want to say displacement, but the traffic has moved to a different, maybe moves around the network in a much different way now. Traffic has, has certainly, uh, traffic patterns have certainly shifted. Uh, and I think the access networks in particular too have seen, have seen an increase in traffic, particularly at certain times of day when they're typically not used to seeing those increases. You know, when we're typically at work or school, we're now at mm -hmm. home and we're not only at home, we're at home using the internet all day long. Mm -hmm. I thought it was interesting you bring up uh, mobility because I've gotten a few um, I have uh, Verizon got a few notifications on my cell phone from them about increasing data at no extra charge, but I've seen people complain, well, I'm not going anywhere. So how does that help me? Um, so I, th I thought that was kind of interesting. One of the things that's, that, that is kind of interesting is that there are certain uh, communities, certain populations that depend on uh, mobile cellular mm -hmm. internet uh, more than uh, more than others, right? So for, for some people, their cellular connection is their primary internet connection at home. Mm -hmm. If mm -hmm. they're typically relying on their school or their library or their place of work as the place where they, you know, commonly use the internet. Um, and particularly we're talking about low income communities and, and others, they may not have a fixed line internet connection. Um, and, and hence they may be relying on cellular data at home. And when you're staying at home all day long, then you're going to, of course, put more strain on that network as well. Yeah, I would think for um, first responders, the mobile network would be especially important right now. Um, and I, I think AT&T's uh, released some updates about their FirstNet um, network too. Um, so uh, yeah, I can definitely see both sides. And as you mentioned, for those that might not have uh, great Wi-Fi at home, it's still going to be really important to have a good um, mobile access. Absolutely. So so I think increasing dependence on, on both type, types of technologies. What are your other thoughts on um, the impact that um, COVID-19 has had on um, traffic volume factors, um, talked a little bit about network performance, but also, you know, application performance, user experience. What is some of your research showing um, about the impact on those factors? The question is, how are these shifts in traffic patterns putting strain in different parts of that end-to-end -end path? And I think one thing that's 
you know, was already clear from some of our earlier research is that the user's home wireless network is, is very often a source of problems, a source of performance bottlenecks along that end-to-end path. And um, we haven't begun to look at that in, in our own studies yet, but I think we're, we're certainly seeing some data from providers looking at load on Wi-Fi networks and how that's increasing due to the fact that, that we're all staying home. Uh, for example, we've all set up home offices. Some of us have set up home schools and suddenly there are a bunch more devices connected in the home network. And additionally, the, the devices may be connecting from you know weird places in the house that previously didn't have internet connected. <laughs> like using the bathroom as a break room? <laughs> that count? Exactly. <laughs> and so suddenly you're testing, uh, you, you know, you're, you're putting additional strain on the Wi-Fi network. You're also testing, uh, you know, strange boundary conditions, if you will, w- within your home as far as the coverage of the network. So that's, that's certainly one area where, um, you know, it was already a bad situation before uh, COVID-19. And I think now with everybody staying home, it's, it's, it's only getting worse. For several years, we've been looking at data at the internet interconnections. That is the interconnections between the internet service provider and a content provider and looking at the utilization of those links that connect those two parts of the network. And uh, for quite some time, I would say dating back almost five years, it was safe to say that those links were relatively well provisioned uh, for the most part. Now what's happened, I think, as a, as a result of the of the current uh, shifts in traffic patterns, these, these access networks are seeing significant growth in traffic demand over a very short period of time. Okay, so typically these networks are seeing something like 25 to 45% growth over the course of a year in terms of traffic on those, uh, you know, on those interconnects and the service providers plan for that and will provision accordingly to plan for that type of growth. Now, um, suddenly with everybody moving home and staying at home, if you will, um, the growth that was planned for has all been seen in the course of of a month or a few weeks. And, you know, so far, I won't say so far, so good, you know, so so far. Okay. I think because there was already a little bit of headroom in in the network, it certainly, I think remains to be seen. And this, this is something that we're continuing to look at, like, because some of that headroom has been uh, used, we're now sort of obviously want to look at how, that continues to evolve over the coming months. The good news, I think, is that the internet service providers have have reported, and and actually for content delivery networks for that matter as well, have reported somewhat of a plateau in the last uh, week or two, flattening the curve, if I may, uh, on traffic demands, right? So it hasn't continued to, to, to skyrocket. You know, as of a couple of weeks ago, there's, there's been a little bit of a flattening. And um, that's probably good news for provisioning as well. It gives gives uh, the engineers a little bit more time to to add capacity to to the network. Uh, I think the other thing that that uh, is is evident from traffic patterns 
is that um, peak time used to be evenings and weekends in the home. And now peak time is pretty much all the time. <laughs> it's pretty much from sunup to sundown. So I think um, those are the types of, of uh, uh, you know, of, of trends that are being reported in, uh, you know, in, in sort of global internet traffic across the access networks and across the, the interconnects. Um, we're sort of in the early days of our studies and, and, and we'll be, you know, continuing to take a look at those kinds of um, data points, but certainly looking at um, the Wi-Fi network, looking at the interconnects as places that potentially are uh, sources of um, sources of strain, uh, certainly worth continued continued examination. Yeah, absolutely. Um, one of the things you've, uh, you know, that this, I think, pandemic has pointed out is, uh, well, like you were saying with, with the, when we were talking about mobile internet is that immediately it uh, drew attention to, especially as it relates to kids going to school, uh, communities that don't have adequate internet access and don't have, uh, um, you know, adequate connectivity once they're suddenly completely reliant on the internet for school, that becomes a big problem. You know, now schools have to make other arrangements to uh, get them to locate different locations or something like that. It makes, it makes the whole thing, uh, uh, the whole, I guess it just underscores the, the importance of having internet access. Um, As you're looking at, at, or well, even though the data is still, you know, you're still early uh, in looking at the data that's coming in from, uh, you know, from the uh, your study at the University of Chicago. Um, do you feel like the shifting in our um, our need for the internet is going to cause us to either uh, put a different emphasis on capacity, reach, or maybe how the network itself is designed? There was, there was a lot in that question. So, so let me unpack <laughs> a couple of things. Uh, I mean, you've, you've touched on a number of, of really interesting points. One is sort of disparity in access. And another is, is how that disparity relates to network design. Um, and there are a couple of other points in there as well. Um, but those two really touch on, you know, we're just getting started on, on this, but this will certainly be those two aspects are a major focus for us over the over the coming couple of months here at the at the University of Chicago and, and the Center for Data and Computing, where we do a bunch of bunch of where we do a bunch of interdisciplinary research in networking, in machine learning, and um, with applications to um, to some of these policy and social issues. Um, let me give you an example. If you look at the Federal Communications Commission's broadband maps uh, at broadbandmaps.fcc.gov, you get a you get the impression that uh, the city of Chicago is is fairly well covered with gigabit internet access. And um, you know, to to make a long story short, it, it's 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 a little bit more complicated than those maps would would suggest. Um, 
there's, you know, there's certainly significant disparities in access, particularly in lower income communities. Um, and the interesting thing about, um, the interesting thing about Chicago is that some of those low income communities with poor internet access are also not very dense. And so it's not just a matter of let's go wire up an apartment building and we're done, or let's just stick up an omnidirectional antenna on the roof of the school and then we'll, we'll cover everyone. No, I mean, sometimes people are traveling miles uh, to their schools and libraries. Uh, and so that creates uh, some really interesting challenges technically. Uh, first, we need to understand what those gaps in access look like. But also, as you point out, I mean, as your question gets it with regard to network design, depending on what those gaps look like, we may, we may need to get creative with solutions. Because if the area that's suffering th this, this gap in access is fairly large, then building out infrastructure to that entire area even if it's a wireless mesh network is costly and complicated. And so we need to think about perhaps some more immediate near-term approaches, which might include things like drive-by Wi-Fi hotspots, places where students uh, might uh, go. Now that kind of model is interesting because it's not typically how we think of content delivery on you know, a well-provisioned internet. You, know, you and I are talking over an always on, always connected type of infrastructure. I've got information at my fingertips here. Um, the internet's well-designed for that type of connectivity model. But when we think about this sort of intermittent connectivity that shows up in that scenario that I described, we're gonna need to rethink everything from, you know, how applications behave to how teachers give assignments to students where they can't necessarily assume, you know, always on connectivity. Yeah. I think that's interesting. Cause there's a, that, that is the assumption when people say internet access, you know, they need, they need access to Wi-Fi or whatever. The assumption is always that it's all some sort of always on connection. Um, but, but you raise a good point. Uh, maybe there is, maybe there are models where internet by appointment makes more sense and, it, uh, economically and reaches more people uh, than, than just not having them connected at all. It's certainly an intermediate uh, point. I mean, ideally, you'd like to get everybody connected all the time. Yeah. But there are logistical and, and technical and economic challenges there. And certainly it bears thinking about what intermediate designs might look like. And, and those are some, some ideas that we're talking about uh, with our community partners here. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a, um, yeah, I, I do think that there's a lot of like network, you know, the, the network design part will come into this as well, because like you said, not, not every community that's, um, uh, that, that has poor internet access is, is easy enough to wire in the traditional ways that we've done it. And fortunately we're, you know, uh, the industry seems to be making strides and things like with things like fixed wireless access and, you know, uh, and, and there's some promise of better, uh, high bandwidth wireless access now that, uh, uh, 
you know, T-Mobile and Sprint have merged and things like that. So I guess, I guess what remains to be seen is how, how creative they'll be and how, uh, how much they'll, uh, uh, you know, hold, be, be accountable for those, uh, uh, connectivity promises, because, um, I think, I think we're going to have to be wireless at some, at some point to reach these rural areas. Absolutely. And um, I mean, that, that sort of brings us back to some of our earlier discussions as well, because I mean, another thing that, that you mentioned was sort of, um, uh, you know, maintaining and operating a network with high reliability and performance. And uh, there's a lot of interesting operational questions there. And I think some of them we've actually talked about on uh, previous episodes of your podcast, where you can use machine learning models to try to detect or predict uh, that a performance problem has cropped up in the network. You know, some of our own work, I, I think Kelsey had asked earlier about you know, mm-hmm. studying application performance, right? Um, so that, there's an example where uh, we look at the traffic and we apply machine learning models to determine what the performance of say, a YouTube video or a Zoom call <laughs> is. Um, but those models are all based on data that's, you know, training data that may have been around, let's say before the COVID-19 pandemic. And so when a situation like the one we're in occurs, that can completely shift the distributions in the data sets and the old models are no longer valid. So, you know, everything from predicting application performance to what cellular providers need to do in terms of, you know, predicting data throughput or call drop rates, et cetera. Those are all based on models where the traffic patterns were completely different than they are right now. And so in addition to all the, the, the sort of operational uh, strain that the network is experiencing as a result of these shifting traffic patterns, the models and tools you know, that were, you know, that were finely tuned for a previous era uh, may not be accurately predicting the, the performance and operational problems that we might see in the current regime. So there's some really interesting additional machine learning um, challenges there. What do you see uh, coming up next for service providers? What are what should they be planning for uh, in the coming months? You know, maybe some folks will be slowly returning back to their offices. Also, think personally in North Carolina, we're coming up on hurricane season, so you know that could create some additional challenges as well. Um, so, what are your thoughts on how service providers can um, prepare for uh, future network capacity? That's a, that's, a, that's a really good question, uh, Kelsey. And uh, I think it's, it's worth noting that our new project with the, with the National Science Foundation is geared towards understanding that. So looking at the current pandemic situation, what's happening with the network to in, better inform robust network design. Um, now, some of that, you know, um, we talked about relates to how people are using the network in different ways. Um, uh, such as the drive-by hotspot example that, that we talked about. Now, as far as um, people going back to work or, you know, the, the next uh, natural disaster, 
I think maybe there's some some uh, some lessons to take away from that. I mean, I think one um, you know sort of bright spot in all of this is that the internet has performed extraordinarily well under the strain uh, under the strain that we put it under over the last month or two, and I think that's a, a shining testament to the design of the original internet protocols. So that's I think that's good news. Um, and something I appreciate. Now, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, the the fact that it's working so well, I think, is a testament to decisions that were made decades ago, um, with regard to the design of TCP/IP and packet switching and and so forth. I think um, an area where an area that we've already talked about a little bit, where I think probably we're going to need to pay a little bit more attention is is in the wireless. Uh, realm, right? So I think specific one specific example of that would be the home Wi-Fi network. Right? As more devices are crowding the network, um, the obvious solution there, of course, is to add more spectrum. But the Wi-Fi network is, of course, unlicensed spectrum, and there's a need to potentially open up more unlicensed spectrum to make to make room for the additional devices that are increasingly dependent on Wi-Fi. And I think that's sort of something that um, is sort of borne out in the data that some of the providers have reported. They've seen, um, you know, significant declines in LTE data usage and a corresponding increase in, um, you know, mobile data usage over the Wi-Fi hotspots. So I think uh, Xfinity, for example, has reported those kinds of trends. Um, but the corollary there is that we got to make room in the Wi-Fi network for, for more devices and more usage. And, um, I think this is something that the federal communications commission is, is already thinking about with the six gigahertz band. Um, but certainly spectrum is, is one area. Um, I think, um, the other stories I think are, are, um, well, we've been living them, I think, through through every every natural disaster. Really, is comes back to I think what what we were talking about right before the podcast, as far as provisioning and redundancy. I mean, it's good news that there was so much headroom on the interconnects, right? Um, that wasn't the case back in 2013. We all remember the you know the the Netflix debacles uh, back in that day, and. Um, you know, if the, if the interconnects were running at, you know, 90 plus percent capacity right before this had happened, then I think we would have seen a very different situation. So it's, it's, it's good that, you know, that, that providers continue to provision capacity at those interconnects. And I think certainly maybe now, um, whereas before there was planning just for growth, right, this standard growth it might also behoove us to think about planning for, you know, provisioning in instances like this. I mean, now we have a very, very helpful natural experiment of like what happens when there's a massive traffic shift from, you know, one set of endpoints to another. And so that will certainly help uh, people as they sort of plan with their provisioning models. Yeah. So it sounds like in some ways this is kind of a, I guess to put a brighter spot, like a researcher's dream <laughs> to have to see this in, in real time. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting 
natural experiment, right? I mean, these are the kinds of traffic shifts that, uh, like you said, that network operators dream about. <laughs> it's like, okay, what's going to happen if, you know, I take down this link or what's going to happen if suddenly a huge fraction of my traffic shifts from one endpoint to another, um, you know, yeah, these are, these are the kinds of situations that um, typically operators only get to play out in simulation, right? Um, with, um, with all the lack of fidelity that, that most simulations have. And so, um, you know, it's good news that, that there was no massive meltdown. And, and at the same time, I think it's, it's also good news that now there's real data uh, to help us better understand what happens in these kind of situations, because um, you know, as we study what's going on right now to prepare for the next time something like this happens, now we've got a real um, we've got a real event that we can study, as opposed to just yeah. hypothesizing about what might happen in simulation. I was just going to say, I think it, it will be interesting to see what happens in the coming months, as um, you know, some people might go back to the office part-time or, or full-time and seeing those different uh, fluctuations as well. I was just going to say, that's a great point because this, as this thing hits so suddenly, it's going, it's not really going to end suddenly. It's going to end in, in, you know, stretched out over a period of many months as these things kind of phase back into, uh, uh, you know, whatever, whatever the new normal ends up being. Um, so that'll be, that'll be kind of interesting as well. Absolutely. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see what I'm about to offer is really a more behavioral speculation or commentary than, than networking. But of course, it has implications on the network. I mean, it'd be interesting to see, you know, how much of the current behavior sticks. Right. So um, yeah. I think, again, I think looking for bright spots, I think one um, one bright spot is that, you know, people have perhaps figured out that video conferencing you know, isn't, isn't such a, a dumpster fire that it was like 15 years ago, right? It's, it actually works pretty well. And so when um, presented with the opportunity of, you know, flying across the country for a two hour meeting or, or hopping on, uh, hopping on a video call, um, maybe people will do more of the latter. Um, maybe we'll, maybe we'll see some more um, uh, work from home patterns as, you know, as, I mean, there's some, some, there's presumably a lot of natural experiments going on now in uh, business and sort of organizational behavior, right? If, if businesses discover that, that, you know, work from home is an effective uh, pattern for end days a week, you know, for certain employees, then some of the patterns we're seeing right now might stick. Uh, and um, I don't know what that, what that means as far as provisioning. I mean, I think, you know, certainly we're at a, an extreme point here as far as peak, um, you know, with everybody <laughs> uh, camping out at home. Uh, but, but it'll be interesting to see if, if the traffic patterns even go back to the way they were. I mean, I suspect that we will see some stickiness. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the behavior will stick. Um, I think we'll leave it there for now uh, for the sake of time. But uh, Nick Feimster of the University of Chicago, we really appreciate you being on the Light Reading Podcast. Thank you.
I want to thank Avast for sponsoring this week's podcast. Avast's award-winning security solutions make it easy for your customers to stay safe online using just one simple interface, no matter how many devices they use, wherever they go, and however they connect. Let Avast help you build a safer digital world for your customers. Learn more at avast.com partners. That's A-V-A-S-T dot partners. That is it. That's our show. Thanks very much to Nick Feemster for his time and insights today. Thanks to our producer, Tian Fu, for making us sound good even when we don't. Thanks to you, dear listener, because if you weren't paying attention, we would not be able to get away with doing all of this at work. And uh, please do tell a friend to subscribe. And thanks very much for listening to the Light Reading Podcast.